0: Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week's 321 Go with Cosmo Masero. Then I'm joined by the leaders of the Lift Our Kids Coalition here in Massachusetts. And last up, Two Minutes with Tom.
1: Hello, and welcome to another edition of 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs culture business and the economy i'm your host cosmo Masero. joining me here as always on three two one go is kyan isaacson hello hello she's the official <laughs> voice of oa on air and there she is kyan good to be talking to you again
0: always a pleasure
1: sir how are you very well very well here we are spring is uh, we're well into spring um on the brink of patriots day here in uh, massachusetts I guess, less important out there on the West Coast, but uh, there you have it. Um, let's jump right in with some pandemic COVID-19 vaccine-related material, particularly Johnson & Johnson, which is experiencing a bit of a public relations uh, crisis right now uh, because of some complications, uh, side effects, and, and serious health consequences for a very small A number of uh, people who received the vaccine from uh, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, tough week for the J and J vaccine. It was the last, you know, the most recent to be approved. Um, You know, people were already a little suspect of it, I think, because its efficacy was not quite as high as the Moderna or the Pfizer. Uh, But it was only one shot. People really liked that. So, you know, this week. They announce we're going to uh, CDC announces they're going to halt because of, uh, you know, a, a handful of cases of blood clots that they want to explore. And, you know, there's people that have said this is going to set the whole vaccine trust process back there. You know, they shouldn't have done anything. The numbers are so small. Um, but what I think it shows is a lot of transparency and a lot of forthcoming honesty that these companies are taking these things seriously, that. The fears that so many people had related to vaccines were the side effects that we just didn't know yet. Um, and this is a company saying we're we we're looking at it. We're looking at everything. And, I, you know, that that's a positive in my in my view. Um, but as they, you know, explore this and with the assumption that they will bring the vaccine back online, at some point once they figure out, you know, maybe those six people had something in common or who knows what it is. But then they're going to have to rebuild some public trust um, in getting people to be willing to take their shot. And that, I think, is just really going to be focused on education. Um, You know, for anyone that's dug a little bit deeper into this issue, you will find a lot of tweets and infographs and stories that talk about you know, the the risk in blood clots for women who take oral contraceptives is higher than uh, it seems the risk for blood clots in the J&J vaccine. Um, the risk of people who have been hospitalized with COVID, uh, the incidence of blood clots is seemingly higher. So, you know, there's education to be done. This is one of those things where we've got to read past the headline and J&J is probably going to have to be, you know, embark on a bit of a PR, crisis communications, (laughs) reputation management plan to bring that trust back, um, whether that's done via social media and, you know, targeting of demographics of people that they think are more likely to get the J&J vaccine, um, or, you know, a lot of news conferences, a lot of, and just a lot of keeping people informed, I think is the best way to get out of this. Uh, But been transparent, and that is a
1: positive. Yeah, uh a couple of things. Uh number one, I I think we we ought to remind ourselves that the approval process out of necessity was accelerated and I think in the end that you know that was critical and continues to be important and continues to in my opinion be the right move. Um not that these vaccines did not undergo rigorous clinical trials and such, but the process was compressed and accelerated. And 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 and, and maybe these side effects and these outcomes for a very uh, uh, small number of people uh, uh, is something that would have been, um, uh, you know, recognized and disclosed and probably still not really an obstacle to that to the J&J vaccine, because there are always risks inside side effects to new therapies. That's just, that's just, that's the, re, the reality of medicine. But I think you, you, your two points at the beginning, I think we're right. We're, we're both correct. Um, uh, you know, number one, that it shows great transparency and ought to really give us more confidence in the system because of the way it's being handled now, because it's, uh, the uh, distribution of that vaccine has been paused. Because J, uh, Johnson, J&J is going to handle this properly. But you know what? Yeah, I, I do think it will, if not shake confidence in a new group of people, it will certainly, in some people, and those already apt to be wary, um, to, 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 it, it'll give them another reason to pause or to be like, see – this is what I'm talking about. I'm I'm not taking that thing, and and not just the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, any vaccine. I I think I think this is a I know this is a data point for that because I I know people who feel that way, and you know and you look at your text messages like I see what I'm talking. About? I'm not going near that thing. <laughs> but, that, you
0: Really, too, where we talk about this with clients when they're in a crisis and crisis communications planning is do the right thing first. First and foremost, do the right thing and then talk about everything that you're doing. And it seems like that is what's happening here. Um, they were forthcoming as soon as they recognized the issue, I think, um, unless they sat on this. I don't I don't believe that they did. Uh, and now they have been open and transparent and they're going to explore it. But I do you know, it's going to be hard. The, the vaccine thing is a, a steep hill to climb. But we have seen the federal government as well. You know, I know in Massachusetts specifically too, uh, campaigns to really start being better about educating why people should get vaccinated and the safety around it. But, uh, you know, this is one of those things where uh, it's not a fake news thing, but it is a you've got to read farther than the headline. The headlines are jarring. I encourage people to go ahead and keep reading the articles and, you know, do research and just stay informed.
1: Excellent. Um, All right. Great topic. Important topic. Hey, let's move on to something a little more fun. Let's talk about Worcester and particularly Polar Park. Um, the new home of the Woo Sox, formerly the Pawtucket Red Sox. And boy, in Rhode Island, they're really wringing their hands uh, over the loss of this franchise. Now they've seen all the excitement and investment in this beautiful new home for the Red Sox AAA franchise. It's another thing, another great development for the city of Worcester. Not all of them sports-related, but I got to tell you, they've got – They've got a really fun professional hockey franchise. You know the Worcester Railers. They've got they've got a really fun in, uh, arena football franchise. So so they're really grasping onto that identity, which is hey, you know what, city like Worcester, you can provide these family friendly uh, amenities and 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 um, and, 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 and entertainment. Uh, uh, opportunities at a different scale, at a different level, in an affordable way, uh, and really have uh, uh, a terrific uh, sort of lifestyle uh, experience in a downtown, when, of course, s- such things resume. Um, uh, as, and, and, and thankfully, they are starting to do so. But, uh, just to, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of excitement around uh, just the idea of Uh, a professional baseball and, and, triple a, I mean, that is, that is, that's serious, serious, uh, uh, a strong night out for a family to see a triple a or a day out, uh, a triple a baseball game.
0: Yeah. I mean, for a whole family to go to a Red Sox game, you're, you know, food, parking, tea, whatever it is. Forget about it.
1: Forget it.
0: hundred bucks. Um, so the, I think the the AAA is always a great option for that. Look, Worcester is is having a reemergence in the last few years, and we've talked about that. We've actually ha- did a whole episode focused just on Worcester uh, on this podcast. I think a year or two ago. Yeah. You know, the the, the, the,
1: the WooCast. Bro- it was the WooCast.
0: Yeah. Um, the the growing brewery scene, the restaurant scene. Um, you know, Polar Park now uh, bringing the bringing the Woo to town. They're, they've basically said, we're not Boston. We're never going to be Boston, but we can be Worcester, and that can be great too. And it's been really remarkable to see the change in that city, even in just the last decade, really. The growth, but also just the emergence of a new culture, um, finding ways to bring in businesses, but also then to attract the young people working to come to Worcester instead of you know, making the hike to Boston. Um, and this is just one more thing to add to the list.
1: Yeah, and you know, we're talking about lifestyle and uh, entertainment, but let's just talk about living. And and the the adaptations people have made in terms of flexibility and and remote work really opens up a whole new uh world to folks who are like, hey, you know what? I can get a, a terrific living experience in in in, in downtown Worcester. Where I, and and still have you know and still work, in, in at my job in Boston where I can't afford to live, uh and, and have the best of both worlds. That's a real opportunity now, uh because of uh, different work styles. There is a tremendous amount of high quality, terrific uh, downtown Worcester housing development, loft development. Let me do some, one of my favorite things. Let me talk about a seven letter client, Trinity Financial, uh a a developer of, of uh, some of the most impactful um uh, affordable and mixed uh and mixed income housing uh developments in the commonwealth the courthouse Lost project is, is is one of the anchors of that initiative in downtown worcester uh future home of the major taylor uh cycling museum and uh, it's it, it is one of the most um you know breathtaking um uh, reclamation projects and adaptive reuse of a historic building the old worcester Courthouse. That's that's one example that I they care a lot about because I work with them, but th- there's a bunch of examples like that. So yeah, um, I guess this is a a little mini infomercial for the city of Worcester, but there's a lot going on and it's pretty exciting. Absolutely, go go to Worcester. All right, all right. Let's um, let's close out with uh, with some discussion of Bernie Madoff, the late Bernie Madoff. It was announced this week he has passed away. It passed away. At, Age 82 in jail, serving 150-year sentence. I I bring it up for a specific reason. Um, and and that is and and that is really to to sort of look at the flip side of of reputation and and, and meaning where reput- where reputation can get you, uh, even if you are essentially pulling uh. You know, pulling the wool over everyone's eyes, including the most sophisticated people. Um, uh, Bernie made off behind the single biggest and most economically devastating uh, uh, financial Ponzi scheme in American history. Uh, just billions of dollars of investor money uh, lost down the drain. Uh, a tremendous fraud. His own family uh, turned him in. It's just a terrible story but he was able to get to that position over many years because he was able to build up his reputation and uh, on wall street in the markets in the media with investors largely at least initially by word of mouth people were like i have got i need to get made off to take you know to take a 3 million of, of my dollars because i got to be with that guy and his firm and and and, and um, Harry Markopoulos, who's quoted in the Boston Globe today along with Michael Trotsky, the head of the uh mass uh, uh Mass State Pension Fund, talking about the lessons of Madoff. His big lesson is until you can prove genius, assume fraud. Uh, and and that's the ultimate skeptical view, and, and that's the view he and 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 not enough others took on Bernie Madoff. Uh and that allowed him to build this tremendous reputation, which was based entirely on fraud and fiction.
0: I mean, he you've said it all. Right? A little bit of like the first situation, right? Like he he did this, so then he got this, but he didn't really have that. And then he got more because of the NASDAQ. Like it was all, you know, it's smoke and mirrors at its finest. But it really does go to show that if you can convince people that you're someone you can become someone. Um, and he didn't take it upon himself to then say, okay, now that I am someone, I should perhaps do something about it. He just kind of kept up with the Ponzi scheme, but, um, yeah, it's, it's scary. And, you know, I think that the globe story closes out too, really just as a reminder for all of us, right. Is that how quickly we all forget, um, and the lessons learned uh you know we will probably unfortunately see history repeat itself at some point, but
1: that's on us right absolutely i mean honestly there is um look upon there are ponzi schemes at at every level and and, and they start real small and, and, and real low level, but it's just the same basic concept of. I'm taking this money in in with in with one hand and giving some of it out on the other and keeping this thing going and as long as I can keep it going well you know then we'll figure out how to get out of it and and generally you don't get out of it and in this case it uh it, it contributed to, to to massive economic damage and uh, um it's it, it's 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 pretty remarkable and uh, we will see it again we we are seeing it again that'll be a future topic um yeah. <laughs> in any case Okay, great, great conversation. Um, appreciate it. Always good talking to you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Our program is recorded remotely around the Commonwealth and the United States. Our producer is Catherine O'Brien. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero.
0: I'm joined today by the co-leaders of the Lift Our Kids Coalition here in Massachusetts, Deborah Harris of the Massachusetts Law Reform Institute, and Naomi Meyer of Greater Boston Legal Services. First, thank you both for joining me here today. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Thank you. So before we dive into the issues and the work of the Lift Our Kids, Uh, Can we just first talk about, for anyone who doesn't know, what is the Lift Our Kids Coalition and how did it come to be?
2: Uh, The Lift Our Kids Coalition is a coalition of organizations and individuals that came together specifically to address issues in the Massachusetts cash assistance programs for very low-income families and individuals. We first organized in the fall of 2016 to take on Massachusetts welfare rule that barred benefits for children who had been conceived while the parent was receiving cash assistance. That was known as the family cap rule. And our initial initiative was called Lift the Cap on Kids which was ultimately successful in April of 2019 when the legislature overrode the governor's vetoes of family cap repeal. And then meanwhile, we also began a campaign to address very low grant levels in Massachusetts. We began that campaign because when we were working on family cap repeal, we talked about the fact that the grant was only $593 a month for a family of three. But if one of two children was excluded by the family cap, the grant was only $488. And every legislator that we talked to said $593 a month, that's not enough. So in 2019, As we were nearing success on family cap repeal, we began a campaign to address these very low grant levels. And that campaign is called Lift Kids Out of Deep Poverty because grants in Massachusetts pay less than the federal poverty level uh, and even less than half of the federal poverty level half of the federal poverty level is known as deep poverty, and cash assistance grants in Massachusetts pay barely two-thirds of the deep poverty level.
0: So I have to confess that before working with this coalition and both of you, I did not know that deep poverty was a thing, um, which is I don't know, I, I, but I, I assume that I am in some good company. Um, so you, you explain the deep poverty levels. How many children, families, individuals in Massachusetts are currently living in deep poverty? And historically, I guess, what has Massachusetts done or sometimes not done um, to assist these people?
3: Well, right now, um, there are about 26,000 families uh, receiving cash assistance under the TAFDC program, that's Transitional Aid for Families with Dependent Children, and about 20,000 households, mostly individuals, um, receiving EAEDC, the other cash assistance program for uh, elders and people with disabilities. Um, And so all of those households, um, about 46,000, are living in deep poverty um, if they're uh, relying on these cash assistance benefits to get by. The,
2: The maximum cash assistance grant currently for a family of three, typically a mom and two kids, is $652 a month. The deep poverty level for a family of three is currently $915 a month. So it's obvious that families who have no income other than cash assistance, which is a significant number of cash assistance recipients, are living well below the level of deep poverty.
0: Uh, And talk a little bit. So prior to this past year when we saw a 10% increase uh, in Massachusetts for this grant and there's a lot of details around that but when was the last time that Massachusetts had done anything because part of the issue here when we talk about you know how little this money is at one point it perhaps wasn't very little but it hasn't increased with inflation um, and partic- you know it, even just looking at the last year how much more expensive things became Amidst the pandemic, whether it was toilet paper and cleaning supplies and food, or rent and you know utilities,
3: yeah. So you're absolutely right that um, the big a big issue, the issue that we're trying to take on is the fact that um, our cash assistance programs have not been adjusted for inflation. So benefits were never very much, but uh, the TFDC or cash assistance for families. Um, once upon a time uh, was more than the deep poverty level. It was never at the poverty level, but it was more than this, you know, half the the federal poverty level. Um, And, uh, but because of inflation and the fact that there's no cost of living adjustment to account for inflation, grants have lost their value over the years. Um, In fact, half of their value over the last 30 years. The last increase to the TFDC grants um, before this year was in the year 2000. There was a there was a 10% increase in the year 2000, and then there were no increases at all, resulting in this dramatic loss of value due to inflation, um, until January of this year, when our, our campaign um, Uh, was very excited to um, uh, see that the legislature did increase uh, grants by 10% uh, effective. uh, So they did this in the FY21 budget, uh, effective January uh, 2021. And so as Deborah said, a grant for a family of three is now – The maximum grant is $652 a month, which is definitely an improvement over $593, which is what it had been before. And yet, um, you know, as we talk to families and we talk to the many, many organizations who who work with them day to day, um, it's still nowhere near enough.
0: And so we know that that was, it was a step in the right direction. Um, but to your point, certainly not enough to really change the trajectory, so to speak. But we have heard from a lot of parents, particularly mothers, um, as part of our coalition and our the campaigns work. Can you guys talk a little bit about what some of them have said that this grant, like what the change has meant for them and would mean for them in terms of what they can or couldn't afford um, on a month to month basis?
3: Do you want to take that one, Naomi? Sure. Yeah. You know, I have heard from clients who were very excited about the increase that happened in in January, Um, you know, getting a 10% increase on your income is significant, no matter what. And meant, you know, being able to buy Uh, More food, uh, in many cases, was the number one thing. Families, almost all families on cash assistance do receive SNAP benefits as well, but SNAP benefits are not enough to cover an entire uh, healthy food budget. You know, one mom has talked about how difficult it is to buy uh, fruit for her kids who, and uh, she has a young son who really, really wants fruit, um, and how she struggles to to provide him with a few pieces of fruit um, whenever she can. And so having another, uh, you know, 60 bucks a month means she can buy some more fruit. <laughs> um, you know, she's also talked about, so you mentioned, you know, added expenses of the pandemic, and that's, of course, very real. She's talked about buying school supplies because the kids are studying from home, although they may be going back soon, but they have, of course, been home for months, Um, buying face masks for when they do need to go out. Um, But aside from those pandemic specifics, you know, there's just endless ongoing needs. We hear from parents all the time about how hard it is to try to keep Um, there are children in clothes and shoes that fit because their kids just keep growing. (laughs) They tend to do that. They tend to do that. And, um, and keeping up with it, you know, is a real challenge on the benefits that they receive. So, as I said, we've heard tremendous gratitude for the increase that took place. And yet, of course, it's still just not nearly enough to really meet all their needs. And we've also, you know, one of the things that we hear from moms a lot is how how painful it is for them to not be able to provide everything. You know, they want to do the best for their kids just like every other mom. And one mom, for example, was saying, you know, she's in school, she's studying to try to, you know, improve her credentials so that she can get a better job. Uh, in the future, but right now, while she's needing to rely on cash assistance and can't give her kids everything that she knows they need, how hard it is sometimes to even focus on her classes because she's just so distracted with with her children's needs and her her stress about not being able to meet them.
0: And, you know, you talk about needs and the idea of not being able to buy fruit for your child is just, you know, you can't even wrap your head around it. And then you go one step further and think about, you know, when they're trying to make choices, when their kids want new books or to go to dance class or participate in a club or something like that. Like the the list is long of what I'm sure keeps them up at night.
3: And and I'll mention this particular mom also has told me, you know, because she's trying to study, take college courses and, you know, really improve her her future opportunities um, that she needs to buy a textbook, a very expensive textbook that she absolutely can't afford. And she told me very clearly that, well, I'm thrilled to get this extra $60 a month, but I'm not going to spend it on a textbook for myself because I prioritize uh, spending what little I have on my kids. And, you know, this is what moms do every day. Right. And yet, well, how's she going to take her course? You know, I mean, it was a real dilemma and happily my office was able to find uh, a way to, to get her access to that book. But um, those are the types of tough, tough decisions that folks face every day.
2: The the, the pandemic has really revealed to many people who previously were not in deep poverty what it is like to struggle on a daily basis and the stress that people experience when they are engaging in those struggles and how the experience of struggling in that way, sometimes makes it even harder to move forward. We do see many of our families who are able to move forward despite the stress, but some families, like many people during this pandemic, are laid low by it, not necessarily by the physical manifestations of the pandemic, but because of the economic pain that they experienced during the pandemic. This is an ongoing issue for very, very low-income families. If a parent is focused on the daily struggle, how do I borrow from a neighbor some pasta so I can make supper for my kids? How do I go to the local food pantry when I don't have transportation to get there because my food stamps have run out. All of these daily struggles make it much, much harder for parents to do what Naomi's client is trying to do, which is to participate in an education activity that she hopes is going to give her a credential to allow her to make a better life. It is very, very hard for families to deal with this constant pressure, constant stress, and still get out of the situation that they're in.
0: I I mean, I think about the problem I've talked about with coworkers and friends who are working moms from home for the past year, and that's been very difficult. And I don't have for a moment to think about how I'm going to afford to cook food. I'm just equally as stressed as figuring out when to find the time to do it. you can't even imagine those compounding issues and how much they would weigh on a, a mom. And we focus on moms, but dads too, um, parents across the board. That if you take any stress of uh, just life and then pandemic life and you add extreme poverty on top of it and the struggles that come with that, it's almost so unimaginable that uh, people are, are putting one foot in front of the other and really moving forward. Um, but we are very fortunate that a majority in both the House and the Senate have co-signed bills to lift kids out of deep poverty, which is very exciting. Um, What are the next steps and what can people do to show their support who are listening if they are so inclined?
2: Uh, We are in the middle of the House budget. So the House, uh, the House Ways and Means Committee released its budget on Wednesday of this week. Legislators are in the process of filing amendments to the budget. Representative Decker, who is the lead sponsor of the House version of the bill to lift kids out of deep poverty, the number for that is H199. Uh, she has filed an amendment to the House Ways and Means budget. The amendment number is Amendment number 83. We are in the process of asking House members to co-sponsor Amendment number 83. Amendment number 83 would increase cash assistance benefits by 20%. That would not provide the ongoing increases in future years that would be provided by the bill but would be the next critical step in addressing very low grant levels in Massachusetts. Uh, Well, thank you both for joining me and talking about this
0: today. Before we wrap up, number one, is there anything else we haven't touched upon that people should know? And where can people go for more information about this campaign and our
3: coalition? Well, we'd like to, um, Deborah just mentioned um, the House uh, bill and our lead sponsor in the House, Marjorie Decker. And we should mention, of course, that there is a Senate bill as well. Um, The lead sponsor is Senator Sal DiDomenico, and uh, the Senate bill number is S-96. And of course, the, the Senate hasn't put out their budget yet, but we're certainly hoping um, to, that the Senate will also include um, this 20 percent grant increase that we're seeking um, in their budget. So we'll be, uh, you know, we encourage folks to stay tuned for advocacy on the Senate side when uh, it's time for that next month. Um, and you can find out about uh, more about our campaign on our website, which is Lift Our Kids M.A., .org um and you can see there uh yeah, more information about um uh the history of uh welfare grants and a list of our 146 supporting organizations um big coalition, of big our, coalition. for the lift our kids coalition um and you know i want to mention how how proud we are to have uh, brought in uh, some folks under this campaign who were not necessarily the usual suspects who've been working on welfare. Deborah and I both focus you know, our, our uh, work almost entirely on public benefits, so we're the usual suspects. But, but as we started talking to um, more and more people, we found that, of course, Every organization that cares about kids, you know, and that works with low income families in in lots of different areas recognizes the need to make sure that families have enough uh, enough cash to just pay for their basic needs. And so, um, you know, we have um, uh, labor unions and education organizations and early early uh, education and care providers and um, uh, public health groups and uh, really a huge range of, of uh, folks who, once they found out how low cash assistance grants were, said, oh my God, yeah, of course we have to, of course we have to increase them uh, and count us in. Uh, so that's, that's um, pretty exciting and uh, you can find more, as I said, more about it, uh, on our website.
0: Thank you both.
4: Two minutes with Kayanne and Tom. How are you, Guyana?
0: Good morning. Two minutes with Tom.
4: There it is. Okay.
0: Stop renaming our segment. It confuses the people.
4: Listen, I think we have a very topical and important thing to converse about this morning. All these shootings going on in the last in the last month and this week, um, and the and, and and another young man shot by police. Um, you know, I've always been one. Um, I'm not anti-gun, um, but but I am anti-people standing up for the Second Amendment. Of the Constitution when it has nothing to do with what's going on in this country today, um, and what its intention was back 200 years ago is extraordinarily different than what it is. What the meaning of it carries with it today. Um, anyway, the president, who is who is just beside himself, uh, calling it a national a national disgrace, embarrassing to the world. Here we have the greatest nation in the world, and we're confronted with this. Every single week, it happens once or twice. It's almost an epidemic form. And the awful thing is we're getting to a point where people are getting used to it. And because of that, it's almost accepting that we can lose young lives and and the lives of people because they're out shopping, they're in a doctor's office, they're at work, whatever it might be. It's an extraordinary thing.
0: It it, it also serves as a a reminder of just how complex the presidency is, the issues that you're dealing with. I mean, he's been obviously laser focused on COVID-19 and vaccines uh, since coming into office. He's had a lot of trying to heal you know, Congress, the nation, uh, so so many things, but then enters sort of this reminder that there's a whole long list of issues that we still have to contend with as a country. Um and this is certainly one of them, and uh, i think one that can no longer be ignored or brushed aside for you know for anything mm-hmm. and he is you know i think shown that he is exploring how do how do we deal with this
4: yeah i agree i agree. i think the other issue is that um you know the police shootings of of young of young men um young people of color um I'm I'm concerned by it. I really am. I'm not anti police at all. As a matter of fact, if I were to be termed anything it would be pro cop. Um, I, I don't know how we get as many young people into the law enforcement agencies as we do with all the danger that they're confronted with. Um on the on the one hand. On the other hand, I do think I do think in patrolling more more uh, more preparation, more education. More, more training needs to be done with police. Um, I mean, it, it, the situations that we're reading about on a weekly basis are, are screaming that, that that the training is just not there. And um, as dangerous as these situations are, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to defund the police. What I want to do is train them, just to understand what's going on on the streets of these communities, these towns and cities where they're where they're patrolling and where they're where they're providing public service.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we've seen conversations and about how do you deal with inherent bias that you don't know that you have, which seems to be at play in a lot of these instances. And I am that's pure conjecture. Um, But these issues are real and we're not we haven't quite figured out the best way to to deal with them. And until we do, you know, I'm I'm with you. I'm the daughter of law enforcement. Um, I know the very, very best of of them. Uh, but it's, it's a tough, it's a tough spot and yep. something has to be done. Whatever we have been doing is not working. Um, but you know, that's no easy fix either. And it is mm-hmm. it is just sort of this, it, it came to me this morning when I was thinking about, you know, like what you, what are we going to talk about? Was there's so many things, um, and we've all been so laser focused on this one issue for so long. Uh, but more and more of the other issues that are you know just as important now percolating to the surge at the top no, that's right
4: that's right that's right i mean we, we have got to look at the gun laws in this country and begin to change them, not to take people's guns away from them. That's not what this is about, but we we really need as a nation to ask ourselves do we need do we need some of these 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 military arms that people are carrying in a society? You know, the, the, I think the answer is no, and it's 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 not just it, it's not a first step to you know to banish all guns. What it is is just putting some reality into where we are on a day to day basis. These killings have got to stop. Anyway, um, I, I, my heart goes out to the ravished families of people who have died, whether it's at the hands of a pistol of a policeman or whether it's somebody in a supermarket. So it's, it's a very It's a terrible situation. Anyway, it will be a brighter day.
0: Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Diane. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air via Social Distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.